I just can't do it anymore. I have nothing left. Between the divorce, the cancer, your mom dying and being laid off, I know it feels like you're going through a lot. <laughs> Believe me, I have been there. Just remember, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And never forget, God never gives you more than you can handle. Uh, uh, uh. God never said that. Oh, I've got another one if you want to take a shot. Yeah, they come as a pair. Bring it. Hi, Journey. It's great to be with you here today. If you're a guest with us today or online, we're so glad you're here. My name is Brandon Edwards. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and this is our fourth and final week in our series called God Never Said That. And I was really excited about preaching this week because of the topic. It's God will never give us more than we can handle. And God never said that. And so I, I was excited because there's so many times in my life where I felt like I had more than I could handle. Now, some of you know this, but my wife and I had four children in five years. So we have a little bit of an idea of what it means to have uh, more than we could handle. And not just that, but after our third child, six, six months in, I decided I think it'd be great if I went back to seminary and got my master's. And so full-time master's, people are groaning, full-time master's, full-time work, and then three kids. And, and my, honestly, my wife and I, were, after I started, we were like, we're doing this. We can do this. I was like, I don't need to sleep. I'm not sleeping anyway. We got a six-month-old, and so I'm just going to do school. It'll be great. Well, then a year later, we had baby number four, and as soon as we had Millie, we were like, we can't do this, and, and all of a sudden, we were in survival mode. Now, some of you today are in survival mode right now, and you're thinking, we can't do this. Now, for us, we went from three kids to four kids, and Jim Gaffigan says that going from three kids to four kids is like you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> and that was so true. I just thought, man, that guy is right. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of us are struggling with all kinds of things in our lives. It might be someone you know just got some bad news from the doctor. It might be your job isn't as stable as you thought it would be. It could be anything. There's all kinds of things going on in this room. Depression, anxiety. And in those times, we want, we want to know that God is there. And so people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. But that's just not true. It's not in the Bible. And so we're going to look at what God does say he'll do and how he is with us and he's our comforter. But it never fails when you're feeling like that. Somebody comes up to you and you're in church, especially if you're around church, and somebody will say, God closes a door, he's going to open a window. Or God will never give you more than you can handle. But we see in, in Scripture that the great heroes of the faith all were martyred. So we know that God will often give us allow more than we can handle. And so it's the question of what, is, what does that mean for us? And so today we're going to talk about how God brings us comfort 
in the midst of when we have more than we can handle. Now, there are two reasons that I, first I want to talk about why people say that. Now, the first reason is it feels good. Like, when you tell me that, I feel good. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I'm a Christian, and now that I'm a Christian, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. So he's not going to allow that, so this is great. We want that to be true, and so we believe that that's true, even though the Bible doesn't say that. The other thing, the other reason why I think people say God will never give you more than you can handle is because of their misunderstanding of scripture. And we're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. Read this with me. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Paul's not talking about giving you more than you can handle. He's talking about idolatry. He's not gonna, you're not going to be tempted to pursue idolatry more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle in terms of temptations and idolatry. And when you are tempted, God will always give you a way out from sinning. It's not about God giving you more in your life than you can handle. Now, what we are going to talk about today is the very next book in the Bible, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking again to the same church, and in his own hand, he's talking about how he, Paul, and his traveling companions were pushed beyond what they could handle, but God comforted them. And this is where we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Let's read this together. All praise to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they're troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ even when we're weighed down with troubles. It's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share the comfort of God that God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, and this is where it gets real. Paul says, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, Paul says, we were crushed and overwhelmed, what? Beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God only who raises the dead. So right away, in verse, the very beginning of that, you can look in your notes, it says, all praise to God the Father, God is our merciful Father. So the first thing that Paul wants to tell the Corinthian church is that God the Father is full of mercy. God is like a father who's full of mercy. Now, some of you, he's saying this to the Corinthians because he knows that some fathers are not full of mercy. Some fathers, your father might be hard if he was even there. Or he might be unmerciful and not loving. And so... Paul is telling the church, God is 
full of mercy for you and he loves you. The second thing we see there is that God doesn't come for us later. When does he come comfort us? He comforts us in our troubles. As we are having trouble, God comforts us. The third thing we see there is that God doesn't comfort some of our troubles. Well, he comforted me here, not there. He comforts us in all of our troubles, Paul says. And then the fourth thing is the twist. The fourth thing Paul says is that we're comforted, not just for us. This is not just because God loves us, but also we're comforted so that we can then turn around and comfort others with confidence. And then the next section, Paul says, when they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. So Paul is saying, first, when you're weighed down with troubles. So he's just assuming you're gonna have troubles. Paul is like, Paul is telling the Corinthian, I know you're having troubles and when you have troubles. So we hear from Paul right there that you're gonna have troubles. Then later on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, we, we read that Jesus, he, he said that you're gonna have troubles, life is full of troubles and he describes them as storms in your life. So Jesus said that, then later Paul talks about when you have troubles. And then Benjamin Franklin, this week I came across this and thought it was funny. He said in a letter in 1789, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. (laughs) Do you know that it was Benjamin Franklin that came up with that? Nothing can be certain except death and taxes. And so Benjamin Franklin says, nothing certain but death and taxes. Paul says you're going to have troubles. Jesus says you're going to have troubles. We're going to have troubles. Now, the majority of the world is poor. The majority of our, over half our world is poor and lives on less than $2 a day. And in poor, underdeveloped, majority world countries, People accept, they just accept that life is hard. Life is going to be hard. It's going to be full of troubles. This is life. Now, in America, when we have trouble, we are frustrated and upset. And and often, Christians, we get angry at God. Because there's this lie that we believe that God's never going to give you more than you can handle. And so, any problem I have is wrong. Like, God is not keeping his promises. That's what we think. And so... The devil actually tries to enforce this. He wants you to think that, you, that anytime you have troubles, that, that God's not keeping his promises. But God doesn't promise that you won't have troubles. He says, I will be with you in your troubles. So, but why would God allow us to have troubles? Because he is, he has, he's all powerful. He could just stop us from having troubles. He could end the troubles right now. We could just go to heaven, Done. Why does he allow us? Well, Paul says, right here, he says, even when we're weighed down with troubles, watch this word for. Anytime you see the word for, this is, this, you should just light up and say, oh, I'm getting the answer right here. It is for your comfort and salvation. Paul is saying, I'm weighed down with troubles so that I can be showered with comfort through Christ. Paul's saying, I can know God better because I'm being comforted 
through Christ. And I know that Jesus came down to be with us and he suffered among us and he knows my, my suffering. And then he says, I can experience that and then turn around and I have confidence because I've been comforted by God and now I know you can be comforted by God. So why would God allow us to have more than we can handle? The first answer, if you're taking notes, is because he wants to comfort us and to teach us to depend on his presence for our comfort. For example, how many of you people have noticed that when things start going really well, it's actually easy to forget about God? Be honest, when things are going really well in your life, you're thinking, yeah, I know, God, that you're still there and that I kind of need you, but my life is going pretty good right now, so if you could just kind of keep that coming, I'd really appreciate it. And, and really, we, we don't feel as much of a need, this urgent need for God when things are going really well, but when things aren't going really well, man, we run to God and we're like, God, I need you. Why did, why did you allow this? One of the Latin expressions I learned in seminary was ubi dolor ibi Christus, which means wherever there is suffering, there is Christ. Wherever there is suffering, there is Christ. Or as C.S. Lewis quoted, he's quoted in the movie Shadowlands, pain is God's megaphone. When God allows us to experience troubles, we have the opportunity to turn to him and listen to him and be comforted by him. I know the most powerful moments with God for me in my life are when I was in the valley, when I was having troubles. Okay, now Paul goes on to say, he gives us another four. Four, when we ourselves are comforted, he will certainly comfort you. Then you can patient. Then is like four. It's like, oh, I got more of an answer right here. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. So Paul now has confidence that God is going to comfort the Corinthians. He is confident because he's been comforted in his troubles. Now he has confidence that they'll be comforted and that we will be comforted. Then Paul goes on. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. So now he's talking about his troubles. He said, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Beyond our ability to endure. We had more than we could handle. And he says, we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who what? He raised, raises the dead. So right there, Paul is saying, now that I've had troubles, I am relying on God's supernatural power. I get to experience God's power in my life. And so the second reason, why would God allow us to experience more than we can handle is because he wants to comfort us first and to teach us to depend on his presence for our comfort. And the second reason is to teach us to experience his power, his supernatural power in our life, that he's real, that he's active, that he moves. See, we've been programmed to believe this lie that God will never give you more than you can handle. If he won't give you more than you can handle, guess what? Then you really are doing everything under your own strength. 
You have all the power. If you can, if you can handle everything, why would you need to rely on God for anything? But that's simply not true because we were created to be in relationship with God and to need God, not to have all the power to ourselves. Paul is saying that it wasn't until he stopped relying on himself and learned to rely on God that he experienced comfort and supernatural power in his life. If he hadn't had those troubles in his life, he wouldn't have experienced any of that. So you have to be able to turn to God in your desperation and say, I need you, God. I don't understand what's happening in my life. But I put my trust in you, and I know that I've been wrestling control of my life away from you, but God, I want to give you control of my life and ask you to come and work in my life. That's the invitation. Because when we know that God is our merciful Father, then we want to invite him in. Now, when you survey the entire Bible, you come across a lot of examples where people had more than they could handle. I'm just going to talk about two. The first one is David, who's one of my favorites because he's like the super worship leader of the Bible. So he says in Psalm 38, 4 and 8, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I can't take it all. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart and I don't have what it takes to handle this. And then Jesus, fast forward to Jesus in Mark 14, 34. He says he's deeply distressed. Mark says he's deeply distressed and troubled. And Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, physically, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. There are times in our lives where we or someone we love feels like this. It may be right now. You may have heard this before from a pastor, a counselor, or a friend that chances are pretty good that you're either about to go into a difficult season in your life or right now you're in a difficult season in your life or you're just coming out of a difficult season in your life. It's kind of a depressing saying, but... But, it, but it's often true. Now, I told you that my wife and I had four kids in five years. But between the first and the second child, we lost a baby. We, lost, we, we had a failed pregnancy. And it was uh, the worst thing I'd ever experienced in my whole life. All the hurt and pain that I've ever had in my life, it just welled up and bubbled up inside me. And I was wrecked. I talked about this a couple of years ago, but I was split down the middle because part of me still believed everything that I had put my faith in about God and I felt called to ministry even more than ever. But at the same time, I was just a wreck emotionally and I didn't know what to do with it. And so what I did was I came in every Saturday before um, but, and to prepare before worship and I would prepare my heart. I would go through every line of every song and I would pray through it and I would make sure that 
Everything had a personal meaning for me. That it wasn't just, oh, I believe this truth. It was like, this has to personally mean something to me. This has to be true for me. And, and this is why. On every single line of every single song, sometimes it took me hours to wrestle through that with God. I was like rebuilding probably a stronger foundation of my life on Christ than I had before. And what happened? See, God, through that experience, he broke my heart for anyone that had struggled with fertility, with infertility, or had lost a child or children. So for me, I have a specially broken heart for that. See, if you choose to follow God, he will break your heart for something. He will. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. If you pursue his calling, your heart will be refined and you'll grow in humility and love. And one of the primary ways that God grows us in love is by breaking our hearts for something that breaks his heart. See, God will bring you through a very difficult season in your life like he did for me and my wife. And now my heart is broken for children here and families here and all over the world that struggle with infertility or lose babies. So the third reason why would God allow us to experience more than we can handle is because he will use it to break our hearts for the world so that we can love the things that he loves. He'll use it to break our hearts for the world so we can love the things that he loves. Now, there are two places in the Bible, two examples of places where we see people really meet God. And the first one is mountaintop experiences. And this is part of the reason why I'm a worship leader is because I love mountaintop experiences. I've had a lot of them in my life. And the ones we see in the Bible are like Moses on Mount Sinai. His face glows. And it's like, man, I want my face to glow. That'd be so awesome. Now, another, another glowing thing is the transfiguration. Peter and the disciples are up there and they see this crazy transfiguration thing. And it was a mountaintop experience. I think it scared them too. But we, we can have mountaintop experiences where things are incredible and we get this taste of heaven. And we know God more and we feel his joy, but there are also valleys. And that's also where we experience God. In fact, Jesus said when he teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for why? God is with me. I know God is with me. We know God is with us in our troubles when we're under pressure. And we know that Jesus suffered and understands our suffering. And for me, I've had some great mountaintop experiences in my life, but they're nowhere near as foundational for me as my valley experiences. Now, later in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts talking to the Corinthians about how much struggle he's also had, and he calls it the thorn in his side. And he goes through these three seasons of prayer. He says, I prayed three times, but when you, when you look at the original language, it's three seasons of time that he was praying and asking God, God, why don't you take away these, this struggle, this thorn in my flesh away from me? It's not a real thorn. He's being metaphorical, but he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. And so Paul has been, maybe 
even over a year, he's been struggling and fasting and praying, God, take this away from me. And then after the third time, God answers him and he tells the Corinthian church what it is. It's right here. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. My grace is all you need. God says, my grace, Paul, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. This is God's answer to Paul. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul hears that from God. And then he tells the church. And he just does this huge flip. He's like, oh, your power works best in weakness. Well, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure. Other translations say delight. He says, I delight in my weakness. So Paul is completely flipped. He's like, God, please take this away. And now he's like, God, give me more weakness. Give me more. I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I'm strong. See, when we're in the valley, when we're in our weakness, we ask God, please fix this marriage. Why can't you heal me? Why can't you heal my children? Why would you allow that to happen? And why does God give us more than you can handle? It's exactly what Paul said. He says, my grace is sufficient for you so that we would know his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. If we don't experience that, then we don't, we don't know that. He says, I boast in my weakness now. Now, I'm not really up to the point where, Paul, where I'm boasting in any of my weaknesses. I don't know about you, but Paul is. Now, I don't know who's hurting here today, but I know some are. And I pray that you will get to know him better in the valley than you do on the mountaintop. When he calls you to do something outside yourself, he's calling you to something that's more than you can handle. 20 years ago, when I started feeling a call to ministry, God was speaking to me through international missions. And now I oversee our our, our global missions here at Journey. And our goal is to have a 24-7 policy. So the vision is that in every major time zone in the world, we would be supporting staff, missionaries that are spreading the gospel. So every hour of the day, we know that our tithes and offerings are going to spread the gospel around the world. And it's really exciting to see. And two weeks ago, I got back from our work trip in Addis Baba Ethiopia, the capital of Ethiopia. And this summer is our fifth year partnering with Bring Love In, which is this great ministry there. And Bring Love In, what they do is they take a widow, a Christian widow, and they pair her, they adopt, she basically adopts six orphans into her family and they make a forever family. And they have nine of those families. So it's not an orphanage, it's nine families now and they've adopted 57 total orphans. And so they, what they do is they pay for their food. They pay for housing. Each one's in their own house. They pay their medical costs. They have two counselors on staff. The kids have counseling. And then they, they, they're committed to their education all the way through college if they make it to college. 
It's this incredible organization, and we're really proud to be partnering with them. And then those kids, the, the, the prayers that they would become Christian leaders in Ethiopia and be transforming, that God would transform the country through them. Now, one morning, while we were working with the kids and Bring Love In, I got to break away for a couple of hours to visit the government orphanage where nearly all the kids from Bring Love In came from. Now, so a lot of, so does that make sense? A lot of the, all the kids came from government orphanages in Ethiopia, and most of them came from this orphanage that we visited. And so government orphanages in Ethiopia, they are very underfunded. So Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries, I think it's top five poorest country in the world. And their government orphanage, orphanages are very underfunded. And so the one we went to, it was supposed to care for 150 kids and they had over 240 in there. And we met the staff and then we went to this first room and we saw these 12 to 24 month old kids and I wasn't prepared for how hard it would be. The babies were two to a crib and wall-to-wall cribs and there were only a couple of workers. They could only afford to have a couple of workers and so you realize right away these kids aren't leaving their cribs. One boy caught me by the eye and he was reaching out to me and everything in me just wanted to pick him up. You know, I wanted to pick up all those kids because they're not getting picked up. And I wanted to hold him, but he's just covered in disease. And so I held his hand and I was trying to be really positive, encouraging to him. And, and, and I reached and I rubbed his back like I do my kids. And then I brought my hand up to his head and I felt the scabs from all the bed sores that he had. And we... We left that room and we just went to the next room and it kept getting harder and worse. And for me, it was the, phys- it was the physical representation of our sin. It just felt like this is our sin. Like these kids don't do anything to deserve this and they're here because of sin. We tried to be positive and loving and encouraging as we could to see all those kids a friend asked me last week if I've had time to work through the emotions and I thought about it for about three seconds and I said, no, I haven't. I, and, and I realized, I hadn't thought of this, but I realized at that point that I'll probably never be able to work through the emotions because I think seeing that is like seeing the Holocaust in person. Uh, I don't think you ever get over it. I think your heart is permanently broken. And it was more than I could take. Now, for me and my friend that got to go with me, we got to see where these kids come from that are in Bring Love In. We got to see where they, where, where they were adopted from. And so now we know where they're from and now we've to, I've told you. And so you know where they're coming from. And you get to see God's redemption in their lives just like we did. When you see them now, you couldn't even imagine that that's where they're from. Now they're in this place that's like heaven on earth for them. They have families, they have homes, they're well-fed, healthy, and they're just filled with hope. All of them are planning on going to university. In fact, the first two kids 
are gradu- uh, have graduated high school and they and and Ingrid and Mecklet and they pass their exams and they're just waiting to find out what university they're going to and then Bring Levin's going to send them there and then they're going to adopt two more kids to replace them in those families. It's heaven on earth has come for them. Like God's kingdom is broken through in all 57 of those kids' lives and all nine of those widows. And I wanted to share that with you today. So we're going to watch the trip summary that we just finished in this video. Let's watch this together. We are Bring Love In. We are a global community of people who have come together in prayer, generosity, and storytelling to live out the call of James 127 to care for widows and orphans. We unite a widow with six to eight orphans in a home to create new forever families in Ethiopia. Our goal is to raise up a generation of young men and women who are well-educated and physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy to change Ethiopia from the inside out. We are part of God's story of changing the brokenness of being known as an orphan and seeing the beauty of being known as a son or daughter. to me a 
everything I have my brothers, my sisters, my father and my mother, everything is my everything. Knowing God has a plan for me makes me feel happy and grateful. God has plans for us before we are born. Thank you, Journey, for your support. Uh, bring love in through your tithes and offerings. And, you know, we get to see God at work in these kids. Like, we get to see God at work in our lives here. And it's really powerful and moving. Every one of those kids, like I said, is expecting to go to university. They want to be doctors, nurses, psychologists, engineers, no lawyers. but they have a hope for their future. One of my seminary professors, Leonard Sweet, wrote about faith and he said, God leads us to the place where we don't know and can't see. Faith and truth are not God's way to give us specs or blueprints for life. Faith is where God takes us to places where trust grows or is more likely to grow and often where we don't wanna go. God leads us to faith not certainty. When I'm weak, then I am strong. When my heart is broken and I'm bleeding, I become more aware of others' needs and my love grows. I'm more aware of hurting people because I've been hurt. It's like when you're injured and all of a sudden you see all these injured people around you. We are just more in tune with the world when when we've been hurt. When you're doing great, sometimes you're just less aware of the pain around you. Our hearts are just less open to love. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You can set your things aside, and we're just going to pray for a moment. God, we thank you for what you've said today. Pray that as we walk out of here, that we would take with us that you are with us in our troubles, that you want to comfort us, that you want to show us your supernatural power and how redemption works and how the kingdom comes in this life, not just in Ethiopia, but all over the world and in this room and in our lives and in our families and in our marriages, in our relationships and at work. God, we thank you that we know you are here for us to be with us, not just in the mountaintops, but also in the valleys. And we thank you 
that you're here, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us and we ask that you would continue to speak to us. Help us to celebrate in our weaknesses so that we can know you more. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.